Hello and welcome to History in Reverse, a father-daughter science fiction podcast. Today we are discussing Psalm for the Wild Built by Becky Chambers. Hello and welcome to History in Reverse. My name is Caroline. I'm here with my father, Richie. Oh, hi. <laughs> you have to say hi. Hi. <laughs> Today we're talking talking about a really cool short. Is it a, a novella? It's a novella. It's a yeah. novella called "Psalm for the Wild Built" by Becky Chambers. That Dad, I think you read it first, right? Yes, I read it first, and uh, and then you told me about it, and I was like, "Huh, that's a really interesting idea." And then I said, "Let's do it for the podcast." So right. that's where we are. That's how we got here. That's how we're all here together. What you told me about the book that got me interested in it was that it was about a monk who, uh, or rather a world where robots live in the wild. Right. And a monk who goes into the wilderness and meets a robot, meets like a, a wild robot. And I was like, that's really interesting. That's like a really unique concept. I hadn't heard really of anything like that before. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's what interested me about it. And it's a good book. It's very good. Strong recommend anyone who's listening. It's short and the writing is phenomenal. But before I get too much into it, do you want to talk about the author? Right. So if you really want to read the book, you don't want any spoilers, although that's the story is not that that complicated anyway. You go and read the book and then come back. Mm -hmm. uh, so <laughs> Becky Chambers is a fairly new science fiction writer. She was born in the 80s, like 85 or something. And mm -hmm. this particular book was written, was published last year, uh, mm -hmm. 19, uh, 2021. And uh, there's already a sequel. So there's a second book with the same character. Which is, that's odd to me because if this feels complete, but. This, I, mean... I, I think she won a Hugo Award for this one. Now she also wrote a whole, another series called the Wayfarer series, which is Wayfarer is the name of a spaceship and this kind of mm -hmm. mock, uh, a, a crew that, that uh, of a bunch of different races doing, uh, they construct uh, wormholes. That's the job. Oh, that's cool. And, oh, maybe I'll read some more by her. Yeah. Yeah. So the, I read the first book uh, and the first book, the interesting thing about that first book that she self-published it, mm -hmm. you know, she did a Kickstarter campaign and, and she self-published it and then it was picked up by a publisher and did well enough that she wrote like four, four other books, basically the same set of characters. I just found out today that this sound for the wild build is an example of solar punk. And you were explaining to me what solar punk is. Yeah, it definitely is. So, so I think solar punk is a lot less common than what what we're used to, which would be steampunk. So most people right. have a concept of what steampunk is. Cyberpunk. But basically, cyber. Oh, cyberpunk is another good example. I was trying to think of another one. So steampunk. I mean, basically, anytime you take like a way to power something, and like the technology around that, and make it like science fictiony in some fashion, you've created you know x-punk so steampunk is like victorian era stuff that had like kind of is around the time of the steam engine right that's kind of where steampunk right. comes from right. um cyberpunk a really good example of cyberpunk is the game cyberpunk which came out two years ago well cyberpunk that... is like far future like futurama is kind of like... cyberpunk well no. yeah it's well futurama is kind of cyberpunk neuromancer is the, the... Neuro, yeah, Neuromancer is a, a good example of cyberpunk. Absolutely. Um, solar punk is things sort of kind of around like, like solar power. 
and things that are sustainable technology right sustainable technology and and still kind of tapping into science fictiony kind of technology because steampunk is past technology cyberpunk is like full science fiction technology like things that are like Mm -hmm. like way like past us solar punk kind of is technology we kind of have but like maybe a little bit more advanced um a good example of it is uh the move the disney movie disney animated movie treasure planet which is based on the book treasure island treasure planet has a solar punk i would say is a solar punk okay. uh, style to it. the ships are the you know the ships that go through space have solar sails that make the ship propel because they absorb the sunlight like, like right. it's all kinds of stuff like that so that that's uh but yeah that that's cool i hadn't thought about the fact that it was solar punk but i, I like that a lot this was the first time I heard about it, so that's about to make sense. But I think overall, just like to say at the outset, the writing in this is phenomenal and it's hilarious. There's it, like there's many interesting things about it. So, like one of the things we always talk about how the author introduces the setting and he wants to give you background of the world. So mm-hmm. in this one, there's yet another way. The author basically quotes from some historical work that describes this planet. And I, I love the very first sentence of the introduction, which is if you ask six different monks the question which godly domain robot consciousness belongs to you'll get six seven different answers yes it's like right away it's like there's what (laughs) and this this introduction which is just a few pages it's from brother gill from the brink a spiritual retrospective on the factory age and the early transition era and what's great about that intro and what's great about i think all of the all of the writing in the story is that it's there's no wasted space in the story like every word every sentence is teaching you something in a very natural organic kind of way you know like you read that and you you get so much about the society just from that line right like the fact that they're you know extremely philosophical and they're concerned about philosophy and they're concerned about the meaning of what they're doing and the purpose of what they're doing and at the same time you get the fact that there are conscious robots and you get the fact that there was a factory age and there's a new age and they're like you get like all of this kind of packed very tightly into this very short narrative and like in very small spaces of so like kudos to her because that's hard stuff and that's awesome yeah and i mean she describes this religion with like six different schools of thought and then you get an inkling from the introduction that there was something called the factory age the robots became conscious and mm-hmm. they decided to separate where the humans lived in one spot and the robots robots went into wilderness. What's interesting about it though is that we don't we don't get like straight up exposition like that very much. So like in a book like Solaris, for example, because mm-hmm. we covered Solaris previously, we get large sections of Solaris that are just exposition. Or a book like 1984, like in the middle of 1984, he sits down and reads a book, right? It's right. just exposition. Right. It's just the author saying, look at this cool world I made. Like, I'm going to tell you all about it in great detail. And they're like, they're very excited. They want to tell you what Becky Chambers does here, which I think is probably the more effective storytelling method is instead of just providing like chunks of exposition, she weaves that information into the actions that are happening, you know, because like a lot of stuff happens in the story. There's a lot of events yes. that occur. You learn like about the six gods, for example, throughout the whole story up until the very end, like at the That's very right. end when they get yeah. into the monastery and they sort of have the six gods there. And I, right. do I totally understand every aspect of all the gods? No, 
But do I need to, to understand the story? No. I, all I need to know is it's important to sibling Dex. Right. The way that she did that really is phenomenal. I know that's what a lot of the writing is. It's very funny and very accessible in a lot of ways. Mm. So I, I thought I thought that was great, the way she did that. So you mentioned sibling Dex. Who's this person? Sibling yeah, Dex. Si <laughs> sibling Dex. So sibling Dex uses they, them pronouns. We're going to do our best to respect uh, the fictional character of sibling Dex. So um, sibling Dex. Sibling Dex is a monk and monks are usually yes. brothers or sisters. Mm -hmm. So in this case, he's a sibling. They're because a sibling. New... Yeah, right. They're yes. a sibling. Yes. yes. <laughs> it's okay. We'll get there. <laughs> I have trouble with it too. It's, it's okay. We'll, we'll manage. Uh, yeah, they're a sibling, which is it's very interesting because I think that sets the story apart in a lot of ways. It, it's very modern in that way. Right. Like I, you know, particularly in like science fiction, because even if you're, you know, if you look at you know, you look at the history of science fiction and like all the stories we've covered, the closest we ever had a character that was someone without either without gender or who was non-binary or third gender was um, the character from Winter, the Ursula Le Guin's uh, Left Hand of Darkness. Right, right. That, but that character changed sex. Well, that also the guy from All You Zombies, which was all the sexes. That, that character changed gender, though. It's like it's different. So it's like that's the closest we got. Like they, they actually physically changed their sex and then also changed their gender to match. Right. But that's like the closest you get. Like even in, you know, Star Trek, you know, all the five main Star Treks up until I haven't watched the new ones now, you know, you don't really have, I mean, you have characters that play with gender on occasion, but you pretty much, they pretty much stick to male, female. And even then all the alien species they encounter do too. Right. 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 So, it, I mean, it's, it's a, base dichotomy that's so fundamental it's it's hard to question so i think the fact that she not only questions it in this but questions it with her main character well, she and doesn't question that character. she just makes the main character being right. a sibling right exactly and they and then and then they talk about it with Moscap, which we will get to shortly. we'll get to that yeah. <laughs> so yeah sibling dex is a monk and i forget what they do in the beginning of the story what kind of monk are they when it starts uh, so he's just, just a monk else. in a monastery in a city, mm -hmm. and uh, the book begins where he's really unhappy. He just realized he 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 wanted to be a monk and do all those nice things, but he's really unhappy. He wants to just mm -hmm. do something different. And actually, I don't know if you noticed, but the dedication of the book from the author it says for anybody who could use a break. Yeah. <laughs> That's the ultimate point of the story is sometimes you need a vacation. Um, so sibling, yeah, so sibling... Dex decides that he's kind of tired of, of, of being a monk and he wants to become a, a tea monk. So this is the, the story takes place on a moon called Panga, mm -hmm. which is Earth-like. Yeah, I thought it was Earth That's for a while, but then I realized later it was, it was a moon. Right, because they mentioned several like rising planets in the sky and things like mm -hmm. that, right? Yeah, but it is basically like a, a Earth-like place with plants. What's, well, what's interesting about this the setting is that it see it sounds like it's sort of it's almost like a post. It would be what you would consider like a post-apocalypse. It's like if the Matrix happened, but in a good way, you know, like the robots all woke up, and then the humans were like, "All right, okay, like we'll we'll just 
like make a treaty and you guys go live in the woods and we'll live over here and then like they humans created a utopia and because it's like it's such a pleasant place it's in that kind of this naturalistic hippie utopia right you know yeah people make stuff you know furniture from wood and and they live in Mm -hmm. harmony with nature and he travels around on the bike yeah dex has like a bike attached to like a wagon right it's called an ox Ox bike. bike i'm assuming it's like a big bike I guess and it's ox as that it pulled something. I guess so, yeah. But then uh, Dex decides, something Dex decides, they don't want to be whatever kind of monk they were. City monk. They're, they want to be a, yeah. a tea monk. Right? So right. apparently in, that, in Panga, there is this uh, tradition of monks traveling around between the little towns and basically providing therapy and some tea. Yeah, and it sounds like such a nice thing. I wish we had that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and one of my favorite scenes in the story is actually very much in the beginning after Dex leaves and goes to become a tea monk. They set up for their first day right. of serving tea and they screw the whole thing up. <laughs> right, and, and there's a great line in the book when the author says that's when Dex discovered the difference between reading about doing something and actually doing something. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so true. And they, they screw up the first day of the tea ceremony, which I thought was such a great, such a great dynamic. So what happens yeah. is Dex sets up his little like table. Right. So, table. well, let, let's just get to travel as a tea monk. Basically they, they have to make someone makes it for, makes them a wagon with some nice paintings and stuff. And he spends, he, he gets some, collects some, uh, you know, leaves of, of plants and stuff to make some tea, right? So the first time mm-hmm. he tries it, it's a disaster, right? Right. And the woman who comes, there's a woman who comes to get tea and she sits down expecting, you know, like a functional tea monk who knows what they're doing, but she gets Dex and she quickly realizes that it's like Dex's first day. And she asks like, have you done this before? <laughs> and Dex is like, not really. And uh, she ends up kind of consoling decks which right. is kind of funny well, like she came crying because kind of because her cat died yeah and that's how it started and then she had some other problems like her marriage wasn't uh, happening anymore and things like that mm-hmm. um, well and one thing i think that's important about the tea stuff is that we learn the kind of problems people have in panga and the problems are certain there's certainly problems or you know it's not happy when your cat dies but they're like not devastating kind of problems you know people don't come to decks with like you know i'm terminally ill or this i'm living in poverty and i'm homeless or my my family member just went to prison you know or someone was just murdered you know like there there aren't like really hardcore problems in panga there's like things that are uncomfortable but livable you know right so and you kind of get the, the concept that this is sort of like a little hippie utopia through right. these these like later on he talked to some good looking guy who who had twins that wouldn't sleep you know? right oh that was so funny we, the 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 patron has like one twin on the front and one twin on, like strapped to him one's on the front and one's in the back and like one's sleeping but the other's like giggling and the giggling one wakes up the other one and he comes to get tea and Dex is like, so what's the problem? And he's like, I have twins. <laughs> <laughs> well, what happened though, after the first uh, disaster tea ceremony, he's kind of stops and spends 
like two years actually working out his recipes for different teas and and mm -hmm. trying things out so so that people you know he can find that people are allergic to something and so he gets much better at it and he travels around the country and there's like a large cycle that he does right he winds mm -hmm. up coming there's like the woodland town the the, the riverlands yeah the, the, right the riverlands there's one like in he just the prairie kind of a town and, mm -hmm. and he they describe it a little bit differently. It's you find out a little bit about technology actually that they have, right? Mm -hmm. You know, he. Oh, I loved when he um, posts on Facebook and everyone gets the alert. Oh, that's right. Do you remember that scene? Yeah. <laughs> well, did, did, did you notice when they talk about the the tablet computer that he has? He, you get it like for life, essentially. You know, there is no yeah. new version, no iPhone exactly. sixteen. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Death of capitalism. Uh, yeah. So basically, they have they have more or less smartphones is how it's described but they are uh, like tablets yeah they're they're they, they feel like very durable bigger. yeah they're very durable and there's a, a great scene where dex goes and he and they set up their tea thing and they send out like a message and everybody around all at once gets the alert that dex is here and, the, the, the and they're all paying at the same time and they all take out their like little phones and like check it off or whatever <laughs> And it's cute because it's like, if you think about it, that's what happens in our lives too. We all get alerts and stuff right. like that at all at the same time. We just aren't next to each other. So we don't know. Uh, the, but I love, I did love stuff like that. Yeah. The note I made here, like one of the, the scene when, when they, when the author talks about him coming to the city, to the little town where the men with the twins is, there's also a woman engineer. Like she's like the serious engineer who fixes like the sewage systems in the town. Mm -hmm. And and the, the man has the taking care of babies. So it's kind of, she's trying mm -hmm. to make it. Uh... Yeah, that's true. I hadn't noticed that. They do have some kind of commerce though, because Dex gets paid. They get paid by people, like but on the phones. Right, right. So there is some kind Venmo. of money. Yeah, I mean, there's like some kind of capitalism right, happening. Right, right. But it seems much more social. Right. They also them. like feed him. And he, so he, after doing this for a while, he becomes the best tea monk in Panga. Like everybody mm -hmm. knows him. He really gets, gets the therapy down and, and, and all is good. Mm -hmm. And then one day he's, he remembers that one of the reasons he wanted to leave the city because he wanted to hear crickets. Yeah, Dex is a weird obsession with crickets. I don't really get that. That's like, I feel like that's a them problem. You know, like, I, I, that's a thread that runs throughout the story mm -hmm. that I didn't quite, there's two, there's two things I didn't quite get in the story. That's one. And that's kind of one of the driving things. Well, so uh, for whatever reason, they wanted to hit crickets and crickets were extinct mm -hmm. on Panga. So while searching through the Wikipedia. <laughs> he Googled it. They Googled it. He, they Googled it. Yeah. <laughs> And they found some references to this old monastery where these crickets appeared, uh, used to some, some kind of cricket used to live up there. And, mm -hmm. but the monastery was in the wild lands, wasn't in a part where the people lived. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he, well, one thing we learn, one thing we do learn while Dex is traveling around is that there is this distinction between where the humans live and then the rest of Pango, which is left to be wild. And so we do sort of learn about that, like, because they only travel on certain roads and in certain ways and like sort of develop the circuit because of this split. And that's a very important split. And it's part of the whole culture's attempt to reduce, reuse, recycle pretty much and keep the planet, you know, healthy. Right. So it, it's very important that 
humans do not go into the wilds. It's not like punishable or anything like that, but it's like you're it's a, it's a cultural you're thing. not supposed to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I'm looking at my notes. The crickets that he read about were cloud crickets that lived up in the mountains. And mm -hmm. this one monastery was up in the mountains. So while he's uh, riding along one day, thinking about crickets, he gets this, uh, says, oh, no, not another town, not another tea mm -hmm. ceremony. <laughs> I want more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the interesting things about the story is like, even when you're doing work that is meaningful and productive and um, good on it, good, honest work, that kind of thing. Uh, and, and you're passionate about it. at some point work becomes work and it's not always fun to be productive. Right. You know, it's not always fulfilling to be productive and that happens. And that, I mean, that's kind of one of the main themes of the whole story right. is, you know, kind of facing that. And what do you do? How old is Dex? Do we know? No, we could probably estimate. I mean, know. I think I was, they sound like they're like having like a midlife crisis, you know, kind of, you know, 30 or something, maybe that old. Because I, I mean, if they were um, a monk somewhere else first and then became a tea monk and did that for two years. Well, so, two yeah, years was just getting ready. So you figure another year or two of, of doing it to get really good at it and, and become the yeah. best tea monk. And, and Panga doesn't seem that large since you can like go around all the, the towns. You know, after a few times you do it, it's, you know, he knows the people at each mm -hmm. stop and they all expect, you know, they're happy to see him mm -hmm. and, and so on. Yeah. Cause it kind of, it's kind of a story about having a midlife crisis. That's kind of what's happening. Yeah. Which yeah. like fair, totally fair. It's Sometimes like it's about needing a break. Yeah, exactly. Right. So Dex is headed to his next shift at the tea, tea factory right. and he said, uh, they say, I just can't do this again. Uh, I can't do this cycle again. I'm bored. And sort of on a whim decides, well, I'm going to go to that monastery I saw on the internet. Right. And, and I'm going to go hear crickets. And maybe there'll be crickets. Right. And that'll be good. That'll be a good thing for me. Right. And they turn their bike sort of down. Well, he sends email to everybody. I'm taking a break. I, I'll be away. From, yeah. He, they, they put up their away status. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So everybody knows they write an email to their dad and they're like, Hey, I'm gonna be out for a bit. <laughs> sure. They, they take off their uh, location markers and so nobody can track them and they go into the woods. Well, uh, it doesn't quite go into the woods. So th there's a road, like an old road and he just takes it. So he kind of go, it's, it's the road is, hasn't been maintained, but it's passable and around it is just woods, pretty, pretty dense woods. Mm -hmm. And he kind of goes and goes and goes. And finally, for the whole day, he decides he needs to camp somewhere. And he finds this really nice clearing, really beautiful mm -hmm. clearing. And he um, decides to camp there, right? So he, he parks mm -hmm. his wagon uh, and his wagon has like a shower and he sets up his dinner and he starts like cooking. A, a, like recycles the water. Yeah, and it, yeah. like, there's the got... gray water and drinking water. Right. Oh, I, I liked that, that, that they called the dirty water, the gray water. Um, this is one of those scenes where Becky Chambers's writing was really, really good because with very few words, you could, you could see what she was describing and she was, she's particularly good at describing food, which comes up a lot actually in the story. And she's describing like the cooking and the smells and the sounds and the feeling and like the, just like the calmness 
and like the, the relaxedness that you feel on like your first day of vacation right. when you know that you have like all this time in the world to like chill and dex is just like so happy they're cooking they're showering and they're in the middle of showering right and they're like singing in the shower and stuff like that and the shower's like outside so they're just like showering in the woods when they turn around and they see something very strange yeah this big big large robot <laughs> Look. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, yeah, this is giant. I think they describe it as like seven feet tall, seven foot right. tall robot. And he's just like, hi. <laughs> <laughs> right. I imagine this robot with like this big eyes. Hi. Mm -hmm. Very friendly. <laughs> yep. Very friendly robot pops and, out and it's like, hi, my name is Mosscap. How well, are you? My, what can I well, help you with? His name was uh, Splendid Speckled Mosscap. Splendid speckled Moscap is his full name, but he right. shortens it to Moscap because right. he knows. Well, I guess so. This comes up later. Moscap uses it pronouns. Right. So I, I, so I have a note about that. They had the discussion about that. Right. So Moscap and Dex do end up talking about that. So it, it's weird for us because calling a, a sentient thing it for like the reader is mm -hmm. is just rude, but that that is what Moscap. Yeah, Moscap said uses... basically, uh, I'm an it and you are they. And he said, you know, just because we're different classes of things doesn't mean one is better than the other. Mm -hmm. I see your liberal propaganda, Becky Chambers. I see it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for it, but I see it. <laughs> anyway, so clearly uh, uh, Dex get very surprised by this, uh, kind of startled and and in the process of, of trying to kind of sort out what's going on, he forgets his dinner is cooking and it gets burned. Mm -hmm. And Moscap has never met a, per a human. So he's saying, I was sent by the robots to find out how humans are doing. Yep. <laughs> so I'm here, I want to learn everything about humans. What's the question that Moscap's trying to answer? What do humans need? What do humans need? Yeah. Yeah. And Dex is like, I am standing naked in the shower. My dinner is burning. I need my towel. What, <laughs> what is happening? What is happening? And uh, eventually Dex does get his towel and takes care of, of their uh, dinner and basically like sits down and has like a fireside chat with this robot. <laughs> well, right. So he finds out the, the reason why is the robot called Splendid? something uh splendid speckled, splendid moss, speckled moss yeah uh because when uh i forget the word the robots use when a robot first wakes up right the first the first thing that they see the first thing that they perceive right is what they name themselves after right. which is fascinating because the robot names that he like throws out now and then are so weird like there was one that was like it was like fox and rabbit or something like that right, which is right. like it's like where you woke up and saw like a hunt happening. What you like a horrible thing did you wake up to? And like one of them was like something about bones. One was like dry bones or something. And I'm like, oh my god, where were you? Uh, but it's a really interesting concept. So the robots all sort of have these very nature names because of that. But a splendid speckled moscap, this a short his name to moscap. Then they just chat. They like they, they talk chat about a and, bunch of and you know, moscap wants to know what Dex is doing in the wilderness. Dex is, kind Dex is of, like, I'm going to go listen to crickets. <laughs> well, he's kind of not sure what to do because he kind of want, tried to get away from everything and this robot interfered. Mm -hmm. And um, Right. And Mo Moscap wants 
Dex to come and show him around Panga. He wants like Dex to be like his guide. Right. And Dex wants none of that. Dex is like, that's not the plan. The plan is to go into the woods, see the crickets, and I don't need your help. Dex thinks he doesn't need his help. Well, Mascot says, oh, great. I'll come with you. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dex doesn't think that they need Moscap's help right. until, until they, they see... Do, yeah. Well, until they see the bear the first right. night. So the, the a bear, it's, he's, they're camped out. They've got food. A bear comes and sniffs around. And it's scary. Right. And Dex says, okay, never mind. Giant seven-foot-tall robot. Come with me to the monastery. But like when they had that first like meeting that night, that's the, they talk a lot of philosophy and stuff like that. Uh, a lot of the story, this, the, the narrative arc itself is very simple. And like a lot of events happen, but there's not like a high, there's not high tension. It's a very low tension, right. which is nice. It's kind of a comfortable, relaxing story to read. But the, the low tension is sort of juxtaposed against the very, I get like very philosophical, complex thoughts that Dex and Moscap are exchanging, because you have this like sort of simple setting. It's like a camp, and then it's like a, a forest trail, and then it's like an old building, right? You have like these relatively simple places, but all of these places that they are, like a cave at one point, all of these places that they are, they have these like like very high level philosophical like conversations about like the meaning of life. And it's the juxtaposition is kind of interesting, and yeah. So th there's like a couple of interesting events. So like, Dex decide to to let Moscat come with him, right? So then mm -hmm. continue, and then like the next night, when they he has dinner, he's just sitting there. He he says, "I can't eat while you're just sitting there." But the robot mm -hmm. says, I don't, "We don't eat, you know. I have batteries, you know. I have solar panels." I don't yeah. Eat. And he, and and Dex says, "No, that's just wrong. I can't do that." Mm -hmm. So Dex says. He prepares the meal and he makes two plates mm -hmm. and he puts in front of Mascot and Mask is tell Mascot, don't say anything, just sit there and 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 so he eats his part and mm -hmm. and says, Now tell Mascot, now tell me that you're not hungry anymore. And yep. and offer me this food. So he does. <laughs> right, <laughs> and, exactly. Well, yeah, that was one of the scenes that, so I, I thought the story was well, well done, but the two things that didn't make sense to me were the crickets and that scene. Because I get the point the narrator is trying to tell us with that scene, like the some of the... No, but that makes thing, perfect some, sense to me, because like when you have guests, somebody as a guest at your house, let's say, and you yeah, eating... Yeah, but if you have a... Yeah, but if you have a guest that you you know can't eat, but it's, it's not that it's, they're, it's it's like not an that emotional you're not offering. Kind of, I mean, Dex wasn't particularly logical it's it's an emotional kind of thing it just feels but that's wrong. the thing dex dex is too smart of a character based on all the conversations that they have they're too smart of a character for that you know what no, i'm saying but, like, but it, it didn't he's, quite he, jive he's been to me. a therapist and 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 you know giving people tea and whatnot you know, it was like a grain in their blood i got the i got the reason it was there and you know it's part of it's part of showing that a lot of these things that we do like that are that are rote things it's it's dex's version of a remnant basically well i, I was getting to remnants so we're so let's talk this is such a cool idea you want to talk about remnants I well love so this. so i was gonna say so what happened like the next day they were traveling and and first of all dex did not want mascot to like push or pull the the card he wanted to pedal it himself so he was mm -hmm. getting really good uh thighs you know from all this work yeah getting his leg day in <laughs> and because the road was 
in bad shape, he hit the water tank on the rock and it cracked. What happened was that a lot of water came out of it. And before he managed to kind of tape it shut, he, and he lost like half his water or more than half his water. Mm-hmm. He says, well, I can't do that. I can't travel without water. Mm-hmm. And Muscap said, oh, there's a stream just down, not too far from mm-hmm. here. We can just walk into the woods and, and get some water and we'll be fine. And Dex says, oh, no, no, we can't. We, you know, it's like there were two reasons. One was because it, culturally it's like you were destroying the woods. Mm-hmm. And the other one was just like scary. He heard stories as a child of people going to wilderness and just losing, getting lost and not being able to come out, right? Mm-hmm. So they were kind of arguing back and forth about that. Dex took the water tank out of his uh, cart, but he couldn't even pick it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he insisted, he like says, I'm going to do it myself. I don't need any help. It's just me. And eventually, you know, Moscow. And Moscow just, 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 kind... just like, buddy. <laughs> Well, so I was like, you, you please, can't pick it up. Please, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> so eventually, he agrees, and and they walk to the uh, to the woods to the stream. But like one of the discussions they have there, like Moscow says, every living thing destroys something. Mm-hmm. You have to destroy things to eat, you know, because you grow a plant or an animal or whatever. So they mm-hmm. they go to the stream, and the stream has water, but there's like s- slime and algae in it and stuff. Dex says. Should I be drinking that? And and says, well, it, it's going to filter through your, you know, gray water system or whatever. And as as they are there, Moscow says, come, let me show you something. So they go and there's a building there. It's like an old abandoned factory. Mm-hmm. And uh, Moscow doesn't feel very comfortable. They feel it's like weird, kind of spooked almost, right? And that's when mm-hmm. they talk about remnants. So you want to explain the idea of remnant? Yeah, this is a really, this is probably the coolest science fiction idea in this story. So Moscap explains that he is built from the pieces of prior robots. So he's not from the factory age. He didn't exist then. The original robots in the factory age had a choice. They could have chosen to be basically be immortal and continue to repair themselves and live forever. Or they could choose to let themselves degrade and once they were done, use their parts to combine their parts to create new life. And they chose the latter. They chose to do that. So Mosscap's made of parts of several different robots. And because of that, he has something similar to memories, but not he says it's not quite a memory. But he gets these feelings that he calls remnants in certain places and because of certain things where he, he knows something isn't safe. Or he knows something is safe, you know, whatever the, the feeling is. And being near an old factory where the robots used to be before they woke, you know, before they became became conscious and became free. So being near this place that had such a negative meaning for his his metaphorical ancestors and his like literal physical ancestors for like parts of his body had been in factories before, right? Gives him makes him feel uncomfortable. It makes him feel a, a negative thing. Right, creepy. And that's a remnant. And damn, is that not a great idea? What a great science but fiction concept. But did you notice, you know, when Dex has an aversion to slimy drinking slimy water, that mm-hmm. is also evolutionarily remnant. Right. Exactly. That's exactly the, that's the point. That's why right. Moscap brings him over there to explain, like, that's your remnant. I have my remnant. You have your remnant. And it's... It, so it's the science fiction robot version of 
skills gained through evolution. Right. And Noscap explains like he actually at one point there's like squirrel that goes through his body or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or worms <laughs> or something. And so it's not so the big deal. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But it's so interesting to think about like, you know, that would be a question for robots that woke up. Do they want to just be immortal or do they want to reproduce as natural as organic things do you know right and they kind of talk about that later too in the, the pseudo philosophy that happens throughout the story but yeah i thought the remnants idea was really really good that's that's the kind of thing that's like i could see uh, a whole story based on just that hmm. like a robot that has like a, maybe a strong remnant and they like search for the meaning of it like where did that where did that come from what's you know that like that in and of itself could be a whole plot uh just such a that's such a cool concept but yeah so then what's the next thing well our good so, friends do well the, the other thing i want to mention before we go to the next thing is like when he talks about the other robots and what they do like he talks about some robot that wants to find understand how stalagmites for form right the, mm-hmm. the, so he just he just sits in the cave and watches them He's been doing it for 200 years. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and they also talk a little bit about the robot communication. You know, just how did you, de- how did they, how did all the robots decide that you, you are the one who should go look, check out what humans are doing. And mm-hmm. he explained, they have these uh, like drop of places where you can go and pick up your mail, basically. Basically, they have mailboxes where you could check, <laughs> check your emails when you connect to the Wi-Fi in that location and see. No, they don't have like that kind to. of communication, so. Uh, so like no, they, no, they don't. They're not all connected. They're not the Borg. They're not right. the Borg Collective. Right. <laughs> and, they even talk about that at some point. Moss Cap's like, that would be awful to have someone in your head all the time. Right. We uh, know one thing Borg that, that Masket says at one point, he cannot um, talk and multiply at the same time. Like you know. Yeah, that was so funny. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. Some of the like the humor in the story is just great. It really it's is. It's just kind of sweet because actually that's like one one of my crazy ideas regarding AI. It's like if AI become conscious as a human, it's going to be like a human. It's going to make the same mm-hmm. errors. <laughs> yeah. And then that's kind of the point. Right. I, I kind of like another thing about the writing that I'll mention here. Both Dex, actually maybe just Dex, Dex and the narrator curse in right. the story pretty freely. Yes. Uh, which is odd for this kind of science fiction story. So I think when you look at your cl- kind of more classic science fictions, you basically have like no no cursing. There isn't any whatever. And then you have your kind of more gritty science fictions that are like kind of trying to be cool. You know, like what's the, the first line? Isn't the first line of that Mars story? The one where they made the movie where they saved Matt Damon from Mars. I forget. Oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Martian. Mar- the Martian. Yeah. But the first line of that one is like, you know, oh, fuck or whatever yeah, it is right. he says. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's like, oh, you're trying to be edgy and cool. Like, I get it congratulations you're edgy and cool on mars you know so i found the the juxtaposition of that very interesting because you had dex this like extremely well educated very thoughtful character who's spending the majority of this book talking about like high level philosophy in this like solar punk sort of like hippie utopia whatever and they're going around cursing left and right he gets frustrated in things you know right it just comes out (laughs) it's interesting it's really it's very humanizing i think because it's relatable to the reader. Right. right. So I, th- I thought that was an interesting aspect of the writing because that came up a lot and that surprised me. 
but I think did work in the text. Yeah, sometimes that's kind of annoying, but I didn't notice it. Didn't particularly annoy me. It was, I guess, mm -hmm. fit the character, right? Because he always, as as a tea monk, he must have been very reserved and very pleasant, and mm -hmm. you know, he probably was really tired of being uh, nice. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Anyway, uh, so after okay. they get they get the water, and they re, you know, they repair the tank, and they continue, and then finally come to the place where the road is just completely destroyed, and mm -hmm. there is there is no way for the bike to get through or the wagon to get through. So the mosque mm -hmm. says, "Well, I guess that's where we stop," and Dex says, "No." Dex says, "Never. I Never. shall not stop. Nothing will stop me." <laughs> so he he grabs a bunch of stuff into like a backpack and says, "I'm going. I don't care what mm -hmm. you do." And he they almost have like a little fight. Because yeah. Moscow's trying to convince him to basically give up, mm -hmm. and and he doesn't want to. So, well, they have a kind of a nice little climactic moment there because they're on this like they're like just like walking through the woods now. For everyone's knowledge, I went on a seven mile hike yesterday, uh, so I was walking through the woods yesterday. It's exhausting. Um, I'm still exhausted from walking through the woods, even on something that's allegedly a trail. It, the, if the trail is not well maintained, it is exhausting walking through the woods. So Dex is like tromping through the woods and Moscap's falling behind them. And Moscap's like, what do you, why, why? And Dex isn't really giving an answer. Dex is just like, we're doing it. Yeah. And he's like, I'm doing it live. We're doing it now. And Moscap asks him, you know, why, why won't you stop? Why won't you go back? Why are you doing this? What's the point? Why? Like, I, I'm like really like hammering him at the same time. It like, Dex is like climbing the like rock rocks, and starts raining and it starts to rain and there's like lightning and, and Moscap calls out, you know, Moscap starts trying to answer the question and he's like, did, did somebody hurt you? Are you running from something? Do, are you like not loved? Like, what is it that like, like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And Dex is just like, tells him like, no, because. shut up or whatever. But yeah, he's just like, I'm just doing it. And Dex ends up falling. Right. And and Mosscap catches him. Yes. And then Mosscap falls, but Mosscap absorbs most of the fall because he's the robot. So he saves he saves Dex. He ca he catches them. He catches Dex. And it's so sweet. <laughs> and yes. then they find a cave. They find a cave and kind of spend the night in a cave. And this is where Dex like Dex starts they're to really like break down basically. That they... Yeah, they're they're really thinking about like why why am I doing this? <laughs> right. What? And they're like, it's really uncomfortable here. And I'm it's cold, cold. It's raining. It's dark. I don't, I don't have a bed. And they're like thinking about their wagon. They're like, I have some nice shit in my wagon. Why did I come out into the woods? And, and they I spend kind of like Moscow uses night his in the cave. fingers to to with his like little light bulbs at the end of his fingers. Yeah, so some light. it's so cute. Yeah, it was very very sweet. Yeah. It was very sweet. Is this where they talk about? the like dichotomy of life or whatever no, they i have think this... that's at the very end okay they have this like philosophy i thought that was earlier when they had a philosophical conversation about how life strives to be comfortable but the discomfort is what keeps the balance or some such thing yeah like maybe that was then yeah i don't know the, there, they, there was a, a lot, lot of these philosophy. philosophical discussions yeah. that are just great i, I love those. yeah yeah uh, it was definitely very interesting so they spend the one night in the cave and the next morning they finally finish climbing the mountain and literally get, climbing the mountain and and get 
get to the monastery. So it's been abandoned, mm -hmm. but it still has like all the different symbols for all the seven gods or whatever. And they figure out like mm -hmm. which one is which. And, and at one point, Dex is like really tired. <laughs> and there's yeah. like a bed, bed spring, I think, or something. He just falls asleep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I like when they first get up to the monastery is this is another area where the, the writing really shines. The description of the monastery as it appears is intertwined with Dex's imagination of what it must have once looked like. Right. And you know what that reminded me of visually? I don't know if you remember the movie Titanic. Yeah. In the very beginning of Titanic, when they're showing old rows, um, the images of mm -hmm. the Titanic ship, like the camp, like the underwater shots, uh -huh. they overlay in areas the shots of it when people were there. Okay. And when it was like, and it kind of flashes back and forth between those two things. And I always found that fascinating. I find like stuff like that fascinating. So that's kind of what I was imagining. It's like you have this like old monastery with this, like, I think she, uh, she describes it as the lichen over it, like a shroud and like, just like these beautiful phrases, but Dex is there and they're imagining how brightly the, the walls were bright white and that what this, the roof must have looked like and the, how different parts of it were like gleam red and like now they were rusted or whatever. It's very, very good. Very excellent little passage there. But yeah, so they go inside and they, this is where they talk about God stuff. I, I appreciate so the, the, the yeah, they talk about all different gods and find all the symbols and stuff. And, and Dex falls asleep because he's just that tired. And Mascot yeah, sits I was gonna, on the fire. I was going to say, I, I appreciate the world building. I don't know that it got us anywhere besides being kind of neat. Like in terms of the gods. Like the fact that there are these six gods and there's like parent gods and child gods, whatever. It's like, we understand that they're important to Dex. But kind of, at least in this story, they don't do much. Um, maybe in the sequel they're kind of drawn out more but they're just kind of they could be anything there could have been six gods there could have been ten gods there could have been the greek pantheon like it, it could have been anything right could have replaced it it doesn't didn't really have much of a meaning but yes dex gets tired so then i think Mosca made the fire mm -hmm. so when 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 dex got up there was fire in like one of the places one of the i guess altars for one of the gods and and it was mm -hmm. all very happy so they had a discussion there's one I'm not exactly remember exactly where this happened, but there was this great discussion where Dex was saying he's searching for the purpose for his life, right? He doesn't yeah. know. And Maskup says, but wait a second, you know, robots, when they were not free, they were built for a specific purpose. And it's mm -hmm. only when we lost the purpose, that's when we gained freedom. Mm -hmm. And that kind of was kind of nice. I, I like that uh, contrast. Yeah, they have I, that. I think they start that in the cave, and I think they finish it at the fire. And but what what does Muscap do at the fire? Do you remember Muscap does the fire for Dex? He I makes know, him tea. Oh, he makes him tea. That's right. Yep, he makes him tea. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, Muscap, Muscap's original Muscap's original purpose in the story, what he said his purpose was, was to learn what humans need. Right. And through interacting with Dex over the few days they're together, he picks up on what Dex needs. What, what Dex needs is a tea monk. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, there's one and, thing. I, yeah. I have a quote that, that at one point, uh, Muscap mm -hmm. says to Dex, Dex, you are an animal. Animals do not have a purpose. Yep. I, and I think that was the, I think that was at the end there yeah, when they're was... having tea. Yeah. And then that's one of like the main 
concepts here is that Dex is so concerned with having a purpose and finding what their purpose is and and being productive in that way. And Moss Cap just kind of undercuts that. And it's like, that's not the question. That's not what you need. You don't need that. You don't need a purpose. Right. That's not the point. And it says, you, you know, know, and the fact that robots became free by losing a purpose. Right. I think that's great. And that really justifies like when I sit and play video games for six or seven hours at a time, I'm just going to be like, I don't need a purpose. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm just an animal. It's fine. <laughs> Sometimes you can just live. Moss Cap said so. So uh, we didn't say it. I mean, we kind of said it, but the at one point, uh, Dex asked Moss Cap, so who made you? And he says, well, I, I'm a wild build. You know, I was built yeah. after after Factory Age was over. I was built, you know, from parts of, of robots that were built prior. So that's where the title comes from. Yeah. Uh, but there's one more thing at the end after. So, so Moss Cat makes Dex tea right. and does a little tea monk ceremony for him, which is adorable for them, which is adorable. And the fire's getting bigger and they're kind of chilling at, at night and the sun sets and Dex gets to hear crickets. Right. And he gets to, uh, and they get to hear crickets. Right. And that's how the story ends, which I think was a very nice. Yeah. I still yeah, don't I, get I was... the crickets thing, but it's nice. Well, you know, that's the whole point. Sometimes your desires are not necessarily logical or have to make mm -hmm. sense, you know. Sometimes you just want to appear crickets, you know. Yeah, that's fair. I could see that being being a theme. There are a ton of great quotes in this story. So first, let's talk about the title because I don't know that I totally get the title. This uh, Is it a psalm for the wild build or the psalm? Let me see. I always forget this now. It's... A psalm for the wild built. Well, I don't actually know what what is a psalm. Isn't it psalm, a psalm is is it's yeah, it's like a sacred song. Hmm. A psalm for the wild built. I don't know that I get that title, and I was wondering that while I was reading it because it's it's not really a story about the wild built. It's a story about decks. I mean, it's a story about kind of like the meaning of life, I guess, more broadly, which I sort of can include right. the wild built, but it's not. It's not explicitly about like, you know, it's not a, a human learning to accept a robot or a robot, you know, learning a profound lesson or anything like that. It's like the story itself is relatively. Well, it's, it's more like Dex learns most stuff. Like one of the things I outlined, like I was talking about philosophy that they talk about, Dex asks ask Musk about dying. And he says, doesn't it bother you the thought that your life might mean nothing in the end? And he replies, Oh, it replies, mm -hmm. that's true for life I've observed. Why would it bother me? Do you not find consciousness alone to be the most exhilarating thing? Here we are in this incomprehensibly large universe on this tiny moon around this incidental planet. And all that time, this scenario has existed. Every component has been recycled over and over and over again into infinitely incredible configurations. And sometimes those configurations are special enough to be able to see the world around them. And, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. It's, it's like, well, I, I love that part too because that's a very like modern young people kind of way of looking at the universe because that's how I look at the universe and that's how a lot of people I know my age think about it because religion has kind of died away for a lot of people and that's the way the book what's described there is kind of um, 
it's a scientific but pseudo spiritually kind of way to think about how like everything is connected. Well, I hate to tell uh, you about that. You guys did not discover this this idea. <laughs> no, I'm sure we did not. But I'm just saying that that's the kind of thing that like the way that you see it said online a lot is um sometimes stars explode hard enough that they wake up and can talk about themselves. Right. Oh, right. It's like the whole like everyone's made a stardust, you know, but, but like actually, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and that kind of the connection to the universe through the knowledge of the cyclical power of science is very much akin to spirituality. It's not spiritual in the sense that it's not, it doesn't require a, a non-scientific explanation, but it has, it's sort of saves, serves the same kind of function. Hmm. So that's kind of what they're talking about there. Meanwhile, Dex is quite religious. You know, Dex right. has a monk. this uh, they very are a monk. fundamental yeah. religion. Yeah, they're a monk. They have this very fundamental part of themselves that is very religious, but they're having these conversations with this robot as well. So it's it's very interesting. I just don't, I don't know. I, do you get the title? I don't know that I get the title. I like a sacred song for the, for the wild bill. I don't know that I, oh, is it the crickets? Is the no, crickets no, no. the song? I don't know. I'm trying to find something. I'm usually better at this, but I, I was thinking about this for a few days and I. I no, it, it's, I don't know. It sounds good. It's a cool title. Super cool. But I just don't know that, that I totally get it. But let's look at some. Let me take a look real quick through some of my quotes. Because I, I highlighted a lot of quotes. you like, this is the one when they talked about Frost Frog, which is the guy who's watching stalagmites form. So, mm -hmm. so and, and, and Mascap says, but if I wanted to crawl into a cave and watch stalagmites with Frost Frog for the remainder of my days, that would also be, be both fine and good. You keep asking why your work is not enough and i don't know how to answer that because it is enough to exist in the world and marvel at it you don't need to justify that or earn it you are allowed just to live that is what most animals do mm -hmm. see and that's what i'm going to say to myself when i'm laying on the couch and not vacuuming the living room it's okay just to live <laughs> i mean i think this is this is sort of a revolutionary very philosophical idea at least for me and perhaps for you as well because, and I am going to rail against capitalism, capitalism tells you you have to be productive and there's value in productivity. And that, not that, not just that there's value in productivity, but there's only value in productivity. And I think that's something people struggle with. I think relaxing, I mean, a lot of people I work with mm -hmm. have a hard time relaxing because they feel like they could always be doing more. And like, yeah, you always can be doing more. Of course you can technically always be doing more. It's an impossible standard to live to. So these kind of hippy-dippy philosophies are really attractive to the millennials. <laughs> well, so I, I read this other book recently called The Dawn of Everything, which is a okay. book about anthropology and different forms of human societies, how they existed in the past. But in philosophy, there's really like two views that started during the Enlightenment. Uh, there's like uh, this guy named Rousseau, who did this very naturalistic philosophy, you know, you, you, people live uh, pure in nature, very adopted and all happy, you know, hippy dippy kind of a stuff. And mm -hmm. the other view is Hobbes, who said the life is brutish and short mm -hmm. and that, that the, everything is a struggle and, and, and yet everybody fights against everybody else. And mm -hmm. those are like two extreme points and re real life is neither. This book actually talked about historically what happened with, with human civilizations and stuff. And the 
civilization we have today, which some people say, well, that's the best or whatever, the most advanced, or, or that's the best with the organized people, is maybe not necessarily true. There may be, there were, there were other ways that lasted mm-hmm. actually for much longer than, than the current age has. Our factory age started, you know, you know, 200 years ago or so. Um, mm-hmm. There were other societies that existed for thousands of years, mm-hmm. you know, real societies with cities and culture and stuff. It was just, diff- they were just different than, than what we have today. Mm-hmm. We just happened to think yeah. that, that we are the most advanced because, you know. Everybody thinks we're the most advanced. Right, right. So, <laughs> At I mean, any given time, everyone thinks they're the best. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's, that almost treads into like American exceptionalism too, you know. Not just American, being, I mean. Yeah, but I mean, you know, just through my experience as only being an American, you know. Right, that, but if you look at, at like history and, and each tribe or, or larger group of people always called themselves the people mm-hmm. or the human beings, you know. Yeah. And, and all yeah. these other guys are like that. Um, yeah. It's definitely interesting. I mean, I, I one thing I like about this story is that it, the structure of the society makes you question all of those aspects of your current society because Dex is relatable to us in that they have a job, they have a family, they have uh, you know attractions to people, they have food they eat, they have this little adventure, they have like feelings and philosophies, but the actual practical way Dex lives is totally different yeah. in every way. Right, like there. I mean, except that they have a cell phone, right? Like well, everything yeah, they, else. they have Spotify and everything else. You know, <laughs> they do have Spotify, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like everything, every other way that they live. Like I'm reading this story, and I'm like, that sounds so pleasant. That sounds so pleasant. Oh, that sounds so pleasant. And you, you do kind of wonder at a certain point. I think this, the narrative is designed this way to make you say, like, Dex, what are you complaining about? I think that this the narrative is designed that way. For you to read it and be like, "Wow, this is so right. pleasant." But, you know, if you think back to return, return from the stars, mm-hmm. right? The guy arrived in this future world where everything was pleasant, everything was safe. You, you could mm-hmm. get anything you wanted. There was no issue with anything, and yet he was unhappy. You know, he yeah. had, he had no purpose. Well, I mean, that's kind of the interesting bit about this is that the society that has been established on Panga in in this story has managed to provide for everyone's basic needs. Nobody's from what we hear, nobody's homeless or starving or lacking medical attention ever, but simultaneously still demanding labor from people in all different areas, but not the kind of labor that's like exploitative. Well, I mean, in any society, there's some work that needs to be done and somebody should has to do it, right? Mm-hmm. But um, in this again, in this book that I was reading, they talk about some of the early American Indians from like 1600s who went and visited Europe. Mm-hmm. And there was one of the guys, one of one of those Indians was quite a bit written about him. What what he said, and one of the things that surprised him he says, "Why are the people hungry in Europe?" Yeah, because mm-hmm. like in 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 this is Northeast Indians, you know, like around New Jersey and stuff. Is when mm-hmm. you hungry, you just go to a village and people say, "Oh, you hungry? You have some food. You need mm-hmm. a place to stay. Stay. You know what's the problem? Because of capitalism. Well, I mean that was before. This is we talking about sixteen hundred. There was feudalism. There wasn't capitalism yet. Mm-hmm. So again, it just well, it, there's the different organization of society and the the 
this particular book makes an interesting point that a lot of the ideas that, that would be called enlightenment in the Western world, a lot of the writers who were the writers of enlightenment were inspired by what they've heard about American Indians and how they lived, how they organized the society. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but anyway, this, so yeah, this is, this is kind of like a utopian society, but the, 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 there was something bad in the past. There was factory eight, something happened, you know, the robots became conscious and they was decision to kind of split the two worlds. The, the robots stayed in the wild and humans mm-hmm. had their own civilization. Kind right. Of, well, I think that, yeah, no, go ahead. No, my interesting question though is like, you know, humans built towns and stuff. Why didn't robots build anything other than just other robots? They don't need to. The, the Moscap talked about that. They don't have. They don't need to sleep or eat or need shelter or anything like that. So they don't need towns. I mean, if you think about it, if you didn't have those needs, if you were awake 24-7 and you didn't need to feed yourself and, and you didn't feel warm or cold, why would you? Why, you, would, you wouldn't have to stay home. You could just go anywhere indefinitely. I mean, they, they go around uh, and talk to each other. You don't. They have meetings sometimes well yeah so they have meetings sometimes uh but other than that they just kind of like roam around it also sounds like they have the they have most of panga it sounds like most of panga Mm. is for the wild bill and the humans were in less of panga that's the way it read to me that the humans were kind of they were kind of the sequestered ones which makes me wonder part part of the panga utopia is population control Population control is a really important aspect of the, ba- the keeping the balance right. that they've gotten. Right. You know, they have to have enough replacement people, but not too many. Right. Because it'll they'll run out of space. You know, so that's like another aspect. I was I was thinking about in the story that doesn't enough, they don't really get into it all. But, was was um, sibling Dex human? I guess right. They, they talk. I thought they were on Earth for a long time, but I guess they're not because it's it's yeah it, it reads like it yeah, was on Earth, yeah. but it, it's not. I kind of like the idea though that it's this is sort of like the opposite of the Matrix, right? Because in the <laughs> Matrix, the same thing happened. The AI, the AI took over. The AI got smarter than people, and they started to organize, and it led to like this horrible war or whatever like that. And it's like those kind of ideas, those kind of like dystopian, dark science fiction ideas, I feel like are a little bit out of fashion now. Yeah, you yeah, know? it's tiring of of some alien race coming down to destroy Earth, you know, and start to get right. And you know, yeah, especially especially I think in the wake of um, you know the pandemic, I think people got real tired of sad TV and sad media mm-hmm. because a lot of these shows and and books and movies that were kind of really harped on that pre pandemic mm-hmm. haven't survived. Like the best example I can think of is Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones, the whole premise of the TV show, because the creators didn't understand the books, was like, anyone can die. It's shocking. There's death and bad things. Bad things happen in the show. And it was like really, really popular when it aired in 2015. But that got like exhausting to watch. Yeah. yeah. And you're and right. And been... this, this story is very uplifting. It's like, it's, it's, it's so sweet, right? Yeah, it is. It's weirdly uplifting. I was like, suspicious. What was <laughs> So I wanted to I wanted to talk about because this just came out in 2021. And while yeah. I was reading it, I, all I kept thinking was, I wish there was a visual adaptation of this story. Mm-hmm. Like, I wish this was like a short movie or something like this could easily be like an hour, 20 minute movie. Yeah. But I think they would need to ramp up the tension a bit because you can't just have your characters on screen talking philosophy at each other. Right. We'd get bored. What do you think? 
like if if you were to write it for the screen like what how would you ramp up the tension i suppose without necessarily adding explosions you, you could do more stuff with the wilderness where he has to get off his bike and 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 fight through the wilderness to get you know mm-hmm. a part i don't know whether you want to fight the bear or something <laughs> you could so uh something that could could uh fisticuffs the bear <laughs> see the I thing was is thinking... i i don't care I, mean, I i would like the story as it is i i don't mind philosophy and discussions in the movies but but yeah i i was thinking an easy way to do it would be if um because i i misunderstood initially in the story i thought they weren't allowed in the woods like they weren't like there was like some kind of barrier that would stop them from right. going but then they just kind of leave and there's no like dex never thinks like i'm going to be in trouble or anything like that you know so i think one way to kind of ratchet up the tension overall is to not just make that like socially weird to do but make that like their version of illegal like you can't you're not allowed to and then maybe make moss cap like Oh, maybe maybe there's like part of the part of the deal the treaty between them is that neither humans nor robots can cross the border and maybe both Mosscap and Dex are trying to cross the border at the same time basically and encounter each other you know like mm-hmm. I think that that could be something yeah, maybe something with about some kind of agreement that was made between robots and humans right so yeah the the treaty of whatever it is but it's like it's not the kind of thing where Dex is worried about they're not like right I don't know. I have to be careful, you know, not to encounter any robots because he didn't even, the treaty there. I mean, he didn't seem to even think about robots uh, when he went to the wilderness. He just wanted to hear some crickets. Right. Exactly. It's a good thing he ran into Moscow. Uh, they ran into Moscow because yeah. otherwise they wouldn't have never made it to the monastery. So yeah, I was thinking about that. And then the other fun thing to make me extra special insufferable, <laughs> <laughs> I started taking a screenwriting course recently, and yeah, I've been much. learning about. Yes, I've been learning about the structure of stories and story and movies and things like that. And now I can't stop seeing it everywhere. And I'm just like, every story is this way. So every every story has an act one, an act two, and an act three. Mm-hmm. And act and this blew my mind. And I should have known this beforehand. Act one is short, but it's like you introduce your main character, you introduce a tangible, like a problem or something that they have with a tangible resolution. And then by the end of act one, you resolve that in some way, either they achieve the goal, they don't achieve the goal, or the goal becomes unimportant, like it changes to something else. Oh, so it becomes a team monk. Okay. Right? And I'm like, not again. <laughs> Everything I'm watching and reading now, I'm like, God damn it. This is the end of act one. <sighs> <laughs> Every single thing. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I never noticed. But that's something... Um, Interesting. I, I'm definitely keeping an eye. Yeah, it's it's really cool. And then there's like rules for Act Two and Three also. So I think that for this story, you'd have to build more tension into. So like you could build tension, for example, into Act One if like their decision to become a team monk is like maybe their dad doesn't like it or something. You know, there's a family tension. Like, no, we've always been city monks all of our generations, and you know. It, you can be a tea monk if you want, but like your mother wouldn't like it, you know, like some something, <laughs> something to, to to make it a little bit more, you know, you, you would need something. It's kind of like um when they made a story of your life into a movie and they had to add that like military right. thing. Right. They had to add an explosion. I don't think that that was the best way 
to ratchet up the tension for the movie Arrival, but I get why that happened. Because you 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 can't do philosophy on the screen the same way you can do philosophy in a text. Right. right. Yeah, so. I mean, there's a lot of inner kind of life that happens on the text, but you can't really portray on the screen very well. Right. On the screen, it's more... It's a it's more show because it's visual. Mm. You know, you have to actually show it physically as opposed to describing it in some way. One of the reasons I think Psalm for the Wild Bill would be a good movie is because some of it is so visual. It's mm. the descriptions are just fantastic. And the characters good, both of the characters are good, the world building's good. I mean, like some of the descriptions, there's like a town that Dex goes to and they see these like houses that are built into the trees. Right. Yes. They're like they're like like tree houses, but very fancy tree houses, right. because they don't want to touch the forest floor, because they don't want right. to disturb the forest floor. And I'm like, that's like such a good idea. But <laughs> anyway, my last question, my mm -hmm. last rambly kind of question is: Is this a story, or is this a series of philosophy essays, kind of strung together with some characters? What do you think? <laughs> Yeah, it feels kind of like a bunch of uh, philosophy essays, doesn't it? I mean, I think... Because the story itself is pretty kind of straightforward. There's nothing... It's not even exactly a travel log. Like, it's not like quite long enough to be a travel log. It doesn't travel far enough. It's like a buddy story, you know, a little buddy story, you know? There's yeah. two buddies, yeah. And they have a little bit of an adventure while discussing philosophy. Yeah. You know, I, I wonder about what what influenced what like did the author think of the world and then build a story in it and then add philosophy or did the author think of philosophy and think of a story and then the world or did the author think of philosophy and then the world and the story like you know in what order and i'm sure it all kind of happened at the same time but like you know it's, it's sometimes and we, and we see this in other things like 1984 and stuff like that where it's like the solaris where the author like really wants to tell you like how they feel about life and they kind of just manage it into somebody into the character's mouth mm -hmm. and it works here but i think the reason it it works better here than other places is that that's how the story was designed to be it wasn't you know winston smith sitting down and opening a book about right. big brother and reading right. about you know it was or or the main guy in solaris going to the library and opening a book about solaris it was the story was constructed to teach you about philosophy. Well, I mean, classically, a lot of philosophy was written as dialogue. So here you have a dialogue, mm -hmm. right? Um, oh, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. I, I just thought of it now. <laughs> the other book that I've read, um, it's, it's uh, called A Journey to a Lonely Dark Planet or something. It doesn't have any philosophy that I noticed. I mean, it's, it has nice characters and, and, and kind of fun story, but not, mm -hmm. not much philosophy at all. Whereas this is, well, I mean, that kind of comes up when you talk about robots, right? It, artificial consciousness is it such, you know, it's such a kind of interesting thing to talk about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, that's what I'm saying is that it definitely this, the story structure lends itself to this. You know, at some point in time, one is subjugated to the other. You're either primarily a story or you're primarily a philosophy thesis. <laughs> and I'm I'm not mad at it being primarily a philosophy thesis, but I think it pretty clearly is primarily a philosophy thesis. And while at some points, at some points she doesn't do
do exposition in and and she does like really good descriptions that teach you so much about the world like i was saying at the beginning of the podcast the philosophy stuff it's not quite exposition. It's it's not what exposition is. Exposition is about like the story in the world. Mm-hmm. The philosophy stuff is just like, it could have been taught to the reader, I think in a less explicit way. Cause like, it's just the characters just explicitly saying their philosophy to you. Right. Right. But I mean, it, it, it makes sense in the, within the setting. Right. So it starts a very human kind of a thing when somebody gets dissatisfied with the life as it, as it stands, whatever it is, even if it's, good or bad and you want to do something different right mm-hmm. and you know everybody can relate to that right yeah oh yeah and but then that that there's this kind of drive like you said there's people who you know want to find meaning want to do more and there's this other counterbuilding force that said no you're alive you know be happy with that and you know mm-hmm. look at the butterflies smell the flowers you know, yeah listen to the crickets it's 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 <laughs> freaking amazing yeah i guess what's missing for me and it's, it's, a, it's a very good book and anyone who's listening who's listened this far and has not read it you should go read it <laughs> i guess what's missing for me is i don't know that it made a particular point like in the end the the end like it ended and i thought well that's nice you know i right. thought it was like a nice story it's like poor decks and then but for but oh. for a story that's so laden with philosophical conversations the point is, oh, that's nice. Well, I mean, you know, it's so sweet, the, the end, but it's kind of open-ended for for a sequel, right? Because uh, Moscow wants to go visit people and find out how humans are doing, so he can figure out what they need. Um, mm-hmm. Right. So I, I assume the next book is they go out of the wild into the non-wild world, the human world, and Moscow gets to explain and and discuss philosophy with uh, people with there. <laughs> I mean, I think narratively for Moscap, the story has more of a point, which is that Moscap, Moscap fulfilled his goal, which was to learn what humans need. And well, he, he, he got learned one, what this human needed. He got one, yeah. He got one. <laughs> well, you know, 100%. He's met one human so far. I think on, on Mas- Moscap's end, it kind of it is more successful. On Dex's end, I don't... Well, no, necessarily he, see the arc, he finished, but I wonder, I wonder if that's very meta. Is there not supposed to be a purpose? Ah, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, he finished his quest. He he got to hear the crickets, right? Again, there's no purpose. Okay, so maybe that's the point. Maybe that's it. There's no purpose. Oh, there's no grand plan anyway. You know, it's just he, at this time in his life, he wanted to hear crickets, and he mm-hmm. went through you know many hoops. And he got mm-hmm. to hear the crickets. Yeah. But you're right, it, mm. uh, without much higher purpose, you know? But it, it then it sort of calls, then it gets, gets very meta. And this is my favorite kind of analysis. It gets very meta because it's like, how do you, by virtue of being a novel, your story has a plan, right? Because mm-hmm. it's written linearly from beginning to end. Right. We, we are, we do exist in linear time. So. Speak for yourself. It's. <laughs> So it's kind of, it kind of is a commentary that is hard. It's hard to reach that kind of commentary because to, to, to have the point of your story be that there is no purpose. When you just told me a narrative story with the beginning, middle and end, 
like a rising action, a climax and a falling action. Right. And, but you're telling me there's no purpose, but you just wrote, like, I just read your narrative story. You know, it's not like reading Kafka's The Trial. That has no point. That's right. that's a story that has none of those things. And I hate it and it's awful. But you see what I was saying? Like, it's kind of, it's a hard, I, and I'm not saying that this fails at that. I think it's very interesting in the fact that we're, but I mean, that that's part of it. I think questions is the right thing. Yeah. The contrast between the two makes it interesting, right? So you have a regular story with this beginning, middle, and the end, and, and there's some action happening, and you kind of curious what's going to happen in the end. And if he, he gets to accomplish his one thing, but while that's happening, they're discussing saying, well, having a purpose means you're not free, you know, to be free means mm -hmm. having no purpose. Hmm. That is very meta. Yeah. Because the characters talking about that are, are confined within the story with a set purpose that they don't control because they're not real. And you, the reader are also trapped on that ride with them, right? You can't change the story that you're reading. Right. It exists. I like it. <laughs> I like it. I like, I love, I love when it starts to get meta like that. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I uh, like this book a lot. So I, I read it and I also listened to an audio version, which was really done very well. Any other thoughts on some of the wild built? Do we have any other? No, I think that uh, that's all I had. We kind of, we did kind of pick it apart. <laughs> so but it's very good. We strongly recommend reading it. It's not long. It's it's a, a lovely little read. And we didn't cover even half of the fantastic quotes. Yes. Or a, a fraction of them. They're It's very, very well written. So strong recommend. Next time on History in Reverse, you had an idea for what we could do next, right? So the idea I had, we wanted to do a story and a movie. Mm. And what I was suggesting is the story would be The Tempest by a famous science fiction writer, William Shakespeare. Yeah, I've heard of him before. And, I think. Um, and the movie called Forbidden Planet, which was made in the 60s. And it's oh, based uh, it's based on uh, The Tempest. Oh, I didn't know it was that old. Okay. <laughs> yes. So I think that that will be what we do next. I have read the, have you, you've read The Tempest before? I, ha I haven't really read it. I've seen the book performed. That's but, the same thing. It's a yeah. play. I've, I read it back in college. So they made me take a lot of Shakespeare classes. I have an audiobook so. version, so I probably will uh, listen to it. Oh, maybe I'll listen to it because it's a play, so it it's dialogue. Right. That might be the best way. Let's do it. I used to have, we don't have it anymore. We gave it to the high school. I used to have a comic book version of The Tempest. It was like a fully illustrated in full color, like pretty chunky book of like the whole, right. the whole play. It was awesome. But I think we donated it. Okay, so right. that's everything for Psalm of the Wild Built. Go read it. It's good. Next time we'll be doing The Tempest and what's the movie? Forbidden Planet? Yeah. Uh, we'll be doing that. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening to our our philosophical rambles about Becky Chambers' philosophical rambles. <laughs> uh, I hope that this was entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.